This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hi, welcome back to Money and Markets. I'm Dan from Shares and with me is Laura from AJ Bell. Hi. This week we're going to talk about the Trump and China trade war, which UK dividend payers are looking a bit shaky why you could get paid to buy a fund. And this week's guest is Russ Mould from AJ Bell. Hello, Dan and Laura. How are you? Good, thank you. Dandy. Good. So firstly, let's look at what the markets did this week. What's been happening, Dan? Well, I sort of feel that you've set me up here because each week you say I'm always bringing you bad news. And so you are at um, I thought I might continue with that theme, <laughs> sadly. I don't want to, but the markets have had a pretty tough week. Although, as we speak, they, they look like they're sort of stabilising a bit. It's, it, it, and it's down to the trade wars again and people are getting nervous about stuff. And, and China's retaliating from these extra tariffs that have been imposed on their goods. So if on a stock-specific basis, it's been a brilliant week for Greggs, um, smashed expectations. Um, terrible week for Metro Bank, whose shares have plummeted again on sort of fears about the, the financial stability of the business, which is sort of um, tried to fight back and reassure customers that everything is safe. Um, and then, and then uh, to me, one of the big stories is Vodafone cutting its dividend. Um, its share price has been falling for a long time because people have been worried about the stability of the dividend, high debts, and the amount of investment it needs to make in its business, particularly for 5G technology. So it's come out now and said it's going to cut its dividend, but actually the share price fell um, by the end of the day on this news, which was a bit weird because normally when companies respond in these situations and, and make these sort of uh, sort of disciplined decisions, um, the market tends to like that sort of stuff. So it was a bit strange why why it fell. But I mean, it, it, it does raise a sort of bigger point that um, sort of the old classic income stocks, they seem to be really out of favour. Yeah, so that perfectly segues into our first topic, which is kind of which of those dividends, so you've talked a bit about Vodafone, but some of those big UK dividend payers are maybe starting to look a bit iffy now? Well, they have. I mean, it's it's stuff like Centrica, Imperial Brands, um, British American Tobacco, Royal Mail. People were buying all these stocks because they had generous dividends, but... Recently, there's lots of concerns about their earnings growth and threats to their business. Um, and the share price has been falling. And there's this theory that at some point, um, investors like to look at big, chunky companies and say, uh, once the dividend gets really tasty, say above 6%, um, there's an, theoretically a floor for the share price that's to stop it falling because people start buying again. Now, this theory is not playing out because you're seeing all these companies that uh, share prices keep falling because there's problems with their business. And I think investors just don't want to stomach capital losses anymore. They're sort of saying, well, the, the dividend's not rewarding me enough to hold this share. And it's completely sort of changing how we look at landscape for large cap, classic income stocks as, as potentially as we used to know them. And so how easy is it to assess whether some of the income paying stocks that investors are owning are kind of in this more iffy territory or well obviously you know the, the share price is telling you something so the market is clearly has fears and if share price keeps falling clearly the market's worried about something um, there's more specific things you can do um, the classic test is to initially look at how, how much the earnings per share covers the dividend but really the dividend is paid out of cash so you need to look at sort of the free cash flow figures but um, I think for for sort of listeners who aren't sort of comfortable doing that sort of technical work um, in terms of analyzing companies and balance sheets and financial results 
it's just just take a look. Look at the dividend yield. You know, anything above six or seven percent um, is often it's too good to be true. And will it sort of result in um, potential cut? Now, obviously, Vodafone's done that. Um, I know, Russ, you've looked at BT recently, yep. and, and that's another one. Well, Max and Spencer's has already done it as well. That yielded yeah. up to seven or eight percent. Which I think the issue here is, as you said. If you're only getting what, what's the best cash ISA right now, Laura? One and a half percent for about a year, something there or thereabouts. Yeah, bit up, bit north of that. Bit yeah. north of that, maybe. Okay, so if you're getting one and a half percent in cash, one point one percent from the UK ten-year gill, the risk-free rate. How much risk are you having to take with your capital, as you said, Dan, to get these really, really high dividend yields? And the answer is probably quite a lot. And Vodafone have proved it. MNS have proved it. And, and there are some. Com- I mean, what's interesting is that Vodafone just six months ago said. We're going to hold the dividend, mm. okay? Mm. Well, six months later, they changed their mind. And companies that have said exactly the same thing are BT, Centrica, and Standard Life Aberdeen. They've all said, we're going to hold these very, very fat dividends. So they'd be three that you would be concerned about because the share price isn't really listening. Mm. And I think the an, another sector to look at is the um, home and motor insurance sector. Now, stuff like Direct Line um, and Admiral, these have been very generous dividend pairs over the years. Now, whilst the share prices are actually holding up all, all fine, there's loads and loads of sort of dark clouds over this sector. Um, you know, increased regulatory risk there. Uh, they're all talking in their latest results about how inflation's going up and sort of premiums are falling, particularly for motor insurance. So th- th- there's lots of things sort of suggesting that they their earnings might come under pressure. Um, and because loads of them pay out a lot or nearly all of their earnings in as dividends um, if earnings are going to fall that that must suggest that the dividends um, come under threat okay. some of them pay, I think Admiral and Direct Line have played specials haven't they so they might start to cut this special element but keep the ordinary relatively unchanged but that would still make a huge difference to the yield I think so so for um, so if people are not familiar with the term special so ordinary dividends is the ones that they, they typically pay say every six months specials if they've got extra cash over and above what they need in the business they'll then pay out. it's like another it's like think of it as like a bonus so um, people have got used to these special dividends and therefore they're adding them to the normal ones and thinking that's reality but it, it could be a bit of a shock coming and when sector. you're looking at the dividends that have been paid out should you include those specials in your calculations or should you see them as separate to the dividend because they are seen as kind of one-offs or bonuses always separate you should never count on them happening um, we've seen plenty of examples of companies i mean direct line has done it once before um, and we've seen other companies in the financial sector do it saying um look we're going to take a break we will there is good reason why we're not going to pay a special but you should or if it's there it's always should be a nice little present but never think of it as always coming and so then also you talked about at the start of the program about how markets have been a bit volatile and um China and Trump and tariffs and trade wars and all the T's have been contributing to that. So, Russ, you've been keeping an eye on what's been happening. Yeah. What's actually started the the increase in volatility well, now? Well, it's, it's been bubbling under for six months since the G20 meeting in Buenos Aires last November when President Trump said, if the Chinese don't come to us and strike a deal on trade and we're going to deal with this theft of intellectual property and copying and their cheap exports, we will impose tariffs on Chinese goods or more tariffs on Chinese goods from the 1st of March. Now, that deadline passed. There had been 11 rounds of talks, and then suddenly last week, Trump decided he wasn't getting the deal that he wanted. He said that the Chinese have broken an agreement on intellectual property, and so as a result, the US increased tariffs from 10% to 25% on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports into America. 
He's now saying, if we don't get a deal quickly, I'm going to put tariffs on the remaining $300 billion worth of kit and services that America buys from China. China has instantly retaliated with $60 billion worth of tariffs, of, of, tar- of goods put under tariff of between 5 and 25%, the most important one probably being liquid natural gas, which is a huge deal now for the US. So you do have an escalation in this tit-for-tat game of negotiating tactic between the US and China and markets have been worrying will this lead to a slowdown in global growth in global trade and therefore a slowdown in global growth now Trump has now said there's the next G20 meeting at Osaka in Japan in June I'll have a chat with President Xi then so the game of poker continues although markets had a wobble last week they're still of the view that China needs a deal Trump needs a deal because he wants GDP growth of 4% and he's got an election to fight next year. And so as a result, there is still the working premise that they will come to a compromise. So we shall see. So there was a wobble, but markets are trying to rally a little bit this week. But what I would say is, if you, I mean, everybody's got very excited about the US stock market. There's been a huge rally since Christmas. Um, but the S&P 500 benchmark is back where it was in January 2018. And the Russell 2000 small cap US benchmark is where it was in November 2017. Hmm. So these indices are actually not going anywhere fast when all is said and for whatever reason it happens to be, even though you've got the Fed backing off on interest rates, even though you've got high hopes for the economy, even though you've got high hopes for a trade deal, there's a lot going markets way and actually just stepping back a little bit, they're finding it quite hard work. And, and if you look at the chart, and I'm, by the way, not a technical analyst in any way, shape or form, but a client, a customer pointed out at the AJBLU Invest um, meeting last week, and I've looked at it, you can possibly argue there's a triple top on the chart for the, the S&P 500, which normally means, uh-oh, here's trouble coming. So you see one peak, fights back, one peak, fights back, third peak often means, and, and if you look at the, and it's the old saying, stock markets ride the escalator up and the elevator down. So we will see. And at the moment, yeah, it's been a very smooth ride for most of the last 10 years. So people, I think deep down people are getting a bit windy because Trump is saying, look, America is winning this. Look at all the tax income I'm generating. But in fact, some things are being affected. Senator Grassley of Iowa is saying, look, you're killing farmers in my state. You're killing pig farmers. Soybean prices are at a six-year low. Now, that's not just down to Trump, but it certainly isn't helping. And even his economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, is saying... Look, the cost for these tariffs is being borne by American companies because of high raw material costs and American consumers because the cost of their smartphones and laptops and notebooks is going to go up. And so he's directly contradicting his boss, who's not great at being contradicted, generally speaking. (laughs) So we'll see what happens. But people are expressing genuine concern. And we're already starting to see a knock-on effect. You talked a bit about the effect in the US, but there has been a bit of effect in China as well. So the data for April on kind of slowing retail sales. Yeah, you you can see. And also, if you really get down into companies, you can see it. So Foxconn, which is one of Apple's biggest sub-suppliers, its first quarter sales numbers were, were very weak. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the world's biggest foundry, it was saying, oh, don't worry, Q2 sales will be up on Q1. Not anymore. They changed their mind last week. A lot of semiconductor companies are now starting to go a little bit cold on the second half recovery story. Renishaw, Gloucestershire-based company, fantastic high-precision equipment. Second profit warning in two months, blaming softness in Asia, some of which could well be Chinese-related. So you are seeing it bubbling under at the corporate level. Some of these com- and, uh, companies are facing pressure. Quanta, the Taiwanese um, motherboard and notebook maker, said yesterday, look, our net margin is 1.5% of sales. Now we've got a 25% tariff. Um, we need some help here, people. So we need people to pay higher prices because otherwise we've got a problem. So it, it is starting to filter through. Now, again, the hope is 
Osaka, June, everything will settle down. But let's see. But, you know, if you look at US, for example, US earnings forecasts, I know that they're distorted by the base effect of the Trump tax cuts. But Q1 earnings growth is going to be about 3%. Q2 is expected to be about 3%. Q4, 3 is expected to be about 4% year on year. Q4, 25%. What? Now, some of that's the base effect from the taxes. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, it would lead me to believe that people are expecting a big hockey stick in economic and earnings growth for the second half of this year. And if the um, the trade thing does start to have an impact, that might look a little bit exposed, I would politely suggest. It's amazing how fast everything seems to keep changing. Cause it, was, it only feels like the other day everyone was talking about the US markets at sort of a new high, wasn't it? We had all those... Uh, it it new- is only 3% yeah. below its all-time high. So yeah. again, I, I don't want to get everybody pressing yeah. the panic button, but it is intriguing me that it's no higher than it was 17 months ago for all of the acres of bullish commentary that you've had. Mm. So I think we... Um, what you know, what should investors be doing now, isn't it? Because I guess people yeah. shouldn't shouldn't be panicking, should they? No. It, there's, there's no reason, even though we, we get negative days on the stock market. I mean, in the end, what I would say to people, you know, it's it's. I think it just shows how calm things have been, and how we've had a gentle ride up that escalator for such a long period of time that a two or three day wobble, there's an awful lot of clucking and flapping goes on. So it just shows that people aren't used to volatility. Mm. What I would politely suggest is it's the period of calm that's abnormal not the period of clucking and flapping. So I would just think, get used to more volatility, I think is probably right. If you feel that you've perhaps taken more risk than you would do normally, possibly reassess that, or at least make sure you know what risks that you're taking. Because in the end, it's the old saying, the less care people take with their money, the more care you should take with yours. Hmm. So when they're doing things like giving Uber an $82 billion valuation, even though the thing's more or less admitting it's unlikely to make a profit for many a very <laughs> long time to come. And when you get, this is, I stress, by the way, dear listeners, American private investors. When you get American private investors on the back of the Zoom Technologies IPO, because that stock doubled pretty pretty quickly, mm. buying Zoom video conferencing stock, which is a micro-cap Chinese yes, we, we talked about company. This. Yeah, yeah, we did talk about And the shares yeah. went from a cent to five bucks. Yeah. If people are just trading off names... They're not taking a great deal of care with their money, dear listeners. If they're not taking care, you should be, because it means that things probably have got a bit hot and sweaty in the short term. And just check your portfolio. So by all means, we all have to take risk. But if you feel you've done something that you wouldn't do normally, you've overreached yourself, that's the sort of area where I would potentially be just reassessing at the moment. Very wise words. So we, we've, we've seen a war on fund fees over recent years with the cost of funds reducing. But Laura, you found a fund that will actually pay you to own it. Tell us more. Funds fees have got so low, you now get paid for owning it. Wow. Which sounds amazing, but I don't know. When you dig into it, it's a bit strange. So there's a boutique fund manager in New York called Salt Financial. Um, and it's got a new f- uh, charging structure. So basically, you get five basis points as a negative fund fee. So for every ten thousand pounds you put in, you get five pound back. Wow, that's that's unusual, isn't it? So this very is... unusual. So we've seen in the US um, ETFs, so these kind of um, passive tracker funds. We've seen a, a massive war on fees, and we've had zero fund fees for those. Um, but this is the first negative fund fee, and it's been approved by the regulator. There, basically the. Um, president of the the company admits that it's a bit like a loss leader at a supermarket 
he said you can either wait six years to get to critical capacity on a fund size, which is about $100 million, where you start getting noticed by other people, or, in his words, you can do something drastic. And this is his drastic thing, to wow. drag people in. I suppose you could just put it down to marketing costs, can't you? So is, is this lasting for a certain amount of time, like a promotional period? Or yeah, so it's applied for the first $100 million that come in. Yeah. So if you're in that group, then you then you get this um, fund fee. If you then join afterwards, then you uh, don't. You're not eligible for it. Strange, because and I know in the US they've got these fee-free ETFs, yeah, um, which which we don't think are going to come to the UK because there's a bit of difference in the rules. It's there? quite complicated. It gets around share lending, which is very complicated. But basically, there's a way that these ETF providers can make money. And they use that to offset the costs of taking a, a kind of management fee, and which is how they can offer them for no cost. Um, but you're not allowed to profit from that in the UK. Our regulations are slightly different here. So it's unlikely that we'd see those zero fees. But you look at the co- price of ETFs over here and, and they're getting pretty close to zero. They're obviously still above it, but you can get them so cheaply now. Mm. And I guess for investors, it's you know co- costs do eat into your returns over time. So so low low fees is good, um, but you still need to think about what is it that you're investing in. I think there's a danger that people will just look at the cost of um, a product and not think about the underlying assets. But um, I mean, what's so the one in America? What's this this one that pays you? What's that, what are they investing in, or is that what are they tracking? Do you know? So that? the fund is called the Salt Low True Beta U.S. Market ETF. Wow, that's not very. What does that mean in English? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. No idea. <laughs> then what was that again? Sorry, the Salt Salt Low True Beta, which they've made all one word but kept down the T on True uh, U.S. Market Exchange Traded Fund. Ruby to US, so I guess it's, so it's a US equity tracker then, basically. I would imagine of some sort some of bent or, or yeah. swerve to it. You would have thought if they if they grasp the concept that um, paying someone might be a good marketing ploy, that they would also apply that to the product name. But oh, I feel um, like this is a whole topic for another yes. podcast. <laughs> My anger at the way that some funds are named and the completely obscure yeah. and confusing names they're given. This is a great example of one, actually. <laughs> So thanks a lot for listening this week. As ever, you can send any thoughts or ideas you have to podcast at ajbell.co.uk and we'll see you next week. Thanks. Thank you. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.